Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Anne Marie Lockhart, and you're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. And I'm sorry, I have a little bit of a cold, lingering cold today, and um, I apologize for my voice, which usually sounds so much classier. Um, I have a guest who's going to talk to us, and we're going we're gonna to go right to this because he's got a lot to say. His name is Mark Wisniewski, and he is with us um, just on the heels of the launch of his new book, so I'm going to have him immediately tell us a little bit about that. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me on. Now, your book just launched. What is it called? What's it about? Give me the basics, the thumbnail for it. it the title is Show Up, Look Good. And uh, the pitch line that we've been using is uh, it's the story of a spunky woman from the Midwest who struggles to survive in Manhattan before and just after 9-11. Um, I, I like to say that fairly shortly after the beginning, hilarity ensues. Uh, I guess that's kind of going to be up to the reader as to whether that's the case. Uh, but I will also say that it, it is not necessarily um, – intended totally as, as just a, a laugher or a light-hearted page-turner. Uh, there are some serious things in there. Some are kind of buried early on and, and then kind of sprout up at the end. Um, that's probably all I should say, though, so I don't give away the plot. No, don't give away the plot. We would hate that. Um, how long did it take so you let to me, write let, this Let book? me say this, uh, Anne-Marie. Yeah. They, it seems some reviewers out there love giving away the entire plot as, as, <laughs> as their manner of reviewing. When did this start? This is kind of a new thing to me. Oh, and, don't get me started on that. that we okay. could talk about that for an hour. Right. That's next time. That's next interview. <laughs> that's next time. But I agree with you, and I think that's terrible. I think that's absolutely awful when people do that. It's just it's not the point. It's not a plot summary. It's supposed to tell you a little more than that. Right, um, right. But tell me how long it took you to write this book. It took about two years to draft uh, the book and do a serious amount of the revision. Um, there, there was some revision that occurred after I showed the book to my agent at that time, and that took another, you know, that was another six-month sort of intensive revision um, where I just kind of went at it like crazy um, to, to revise to the that agent's specifications. Um, so I guess you could say altogether about two and a half years. There was a story, though, that I had written uh, well before I actually said, this is a novel I want to write that was the same mm-hmm. voice as as is mm-hmm. in the novel. And that happened years before, um, the, the, you know, before I sat down and said, I'm going to write a, a novel. Now, when you wrote that first story with the first voice there, did you know that there was more ground to explore? Did that come to you later? Did you know the second you wrote it or was that a development? The the first story actually was a actually that there were two stories that I wrote. One had uh, one of the characters in the story, uh, and that was about five years before. And then and then then came a story where the voice came out that ended up being the narrative voice of the novel. And in the case of both of those, I just thought they were short stories. I liked them a lot. I wished I could mm-hmm. write more, but I never thought, oh, this is where I could go if I turn this into a novel. No, it just didn't. It didn't work that way. Yeah. You write fiction, you write poetry. Um, how do you know when you get an idea for something, what what direction you're going to take that craft-wise? 
I, you know, it's a, it's a good question because sometimes I write something in the form of a poem, and I realize as I'm writing it, this is really a short story, and mm-hmm. and it might not even be until I've submitted it a number of times and it's not getting published, or I've tried to revise it down and it's not really, you know, getting compressed mm-hmm. enough to be a valid poem um, that I'm uh, that it occurs to me. So it's it's not. I think I, I, it's sort of where I am at the time uh, with what genre I'm kind of keyed in on. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, at, at, at least as far as whether it's a short story or, or a poem goes, it, I just kind of start doing it and then we'll, you know, see how it goes. Uh, as far as novels go, though, it, that, that seems to be a little more of, you know, one day I wake up or over the course of several days, it starts really hitting me that there is a novel to write and, um, Hmm. I'm a big believer that uh, one should never set out to write a novel unless one really is excited about, you know, a, a, a whole long story one wants to hmm. tell. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and and at least that's how it is for me now. So that that yeah. you know, that that is nothing that I you know I know it when it's happening. I can feel it, and and you kind of can't deny it anymore. And okay, let's let's sit down and try to write this sucker. Uh, but most of the time it's stories and poems, and that's kind of hit or miss. Yeah, okay. That makes sense to me. The um, I, I want to backtrack a second to one of the things you just said about um, submitting something possibly in one form and having it not get accepted, and then at that point in time maybe reevaluating it in terms of whether it actually is a different type of um, of structure. And I, that, that raises a question for me that I know occurs to a lot of people who listen about submitting and acceptance and rejections and how you um, roll with that. What do you do when something comes back? Are you ever, well, how do you deal with the surprise of, gee, I thought that was like the best thing I ever wrote and nobody wants it? <laughs> or, you know, what is that process? How do you incorporate rejection into rewrite? I think I think to look at it all as a sort of lottery or a crapshoot is is the best hmm. uh, way of of dealing with it going into it, and then as you receive the rejection and as you move forth, you know, trying to write again after you receive a rejection or even an acceptance, because mm-hmm. you know some the the downside a lot of writers don't talk about is what happens to a writer who's had something accepted, and I've worked with a lot of young writers when I when I was teaching on on the college level, and I still do some freelance editing and i've watched what happens after an acceptance and sometimes a person gets a big head and starts thinking everything they write now is going to be published and it's not true um but i i think i think you know the good news is never as good as you think and the bad news is never as bad as you think um and and it is a crapshoot it really is uh you know, who knows why some of these things get published or get rejected. Very, very good right. work gets rejected. And, and uh, you know, as, as we all, I think, kind of know, and many of us don't often say too much publicly, you know, some, some mediocre work gets accepted and, and gets into, right. certainly into the smaller literary magazines. And, you know, right. who knows why that is. Right. I, I'm glad to hear you say that, actually. And as an editor, I can also say, that there is an element of, um, you know, editors are human beings too, and you're you're reading a submission on one day, and it strikes you differently than it might on a different day, and, you know, you can never account for those things, which is why I always go back to persistence in my advice speech, which we're not going to get into now. I would actually (laughs) love for you to read an excerpt for us now. That would be ideal. From Show Up Look Good, correct? Yes. 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 
and by the way, before I forget, because I have this written down to say, and I didn't say it before when you asked me about show, I, I have to say that there is a website for Show Up, Look Good, uh, which Anne, Anne Marie, believe it or not, is is, is called showuplookgood.com. Uh, so, <laughs> ever the self-promoter on this book, at least, I, I have to say that to make sure. Um, I, I was on a radio program last night, and, and I mentioned it. And sales it at the end, were, too. I like that. Yes. Okay. Sales sales take off uh, when when it is mentioned yes. on on the on the radio program. But anyway, um, I will now read a, a little bit from uh, the middle of the book. And uh, again, this is female point of view. Uh, this is a woman from the Midwest who's in about her mid thirties who's struggling to survive in Manhattan. This this particular section happens just after she has been kicked out of her second apartment in Manhattan and is really okay. starting to get desperate. Uh, Lucky for her, lucky in quotes, uh, a a married couple from Queens has offered to um, put her up for at least a night while she looks for another place to live in their guest room. So uh, this will start right, and their name is Frank and Francine, um, and that's probably enough said about that. Uh, (laughs) So we will start start from right after um, Frank steers her onto the mauve carpet. I have to tell you guys how grateful I am, I said. I mean, I really owe you, so the last thing I want to do is overstay my welcome. So tomorrow, first thing, I'm off to find my own place. In Astoria, Frank asked. Where else, I said. And I realized something that I now believe everyone's gut has presumed since humankind was in the primate stage. You do what you do because you have to. Sure, there's that pop psych maxim that says people choose to do things. You make choices with consequences for which you and only you are responsible. But let's face it, I didn't exactly choose to to leave the village for Astoria. And I sure didn't choose to ingratiate myself to a couple that, looking back on it, seemed off kilter from moment one. I freaking had to. I realized that the idea is that a woman in my shoes could have chosen to return to Kankakee right then, but had I done that, I wouldn't have been a woman, since to me, womanhood begins with dignity, and running back to Kankakee then would have brought me lower than dirt. After all, had I returned to Kankakee then, my father and my friends and Tom would have feigned respect for my time in New York, while all of us knew they considered me a loser for having failed so quickly. Anyway, Francine was pulling down the orange corduroy bedspread, and as she fluffed the pillow, she muttered, Take Frankie with you. To bed, I said as a joke, and she and Frank each released a breath of laughter. Then Francine said, That's up to Frankie, in that quick, quiet way people blurt earth-shattering statements that leave you wondering if you heard wrong. You know of some empty apartments, Frank, I asked, to smooth it over either way. Absolutely, he said. We could do it wherever. And all those words had, and all those words had come out clearly. I had no doubt he'd said them, and as if to underscore them, he grabbed the sides of my arms and turned me around to face him, then held my chin with his fingertips and kissed me on the lips. It was one of those quick, closed-mouth kisses that at first seemed innocent enough, the kiss a decent father might give a daughter after she pays for dinner. But after he did it, he didn't say anything; just remained so close I felt his breath against mine. And I heard springs on the mattress creaked, creak from Fran- Francine sitting on it. And Frank's eyes grew intent. Both he and Francine, I was sure, were letting me know that they were into sex with more than just them, in this case, with yours truly. 
And I don't know what you're supposed to do when a couple wants to have sex with you, but what I did was turn my back to Frank, which didn't exactly help my cause, not to mention Francine was now lying on the bed, and play along with the innocent half of their double entendre. An empty apartment would be great, I said. I could move in right away. Or you could sleep here, Francine said, patting the mattress. Whichever. She folded her arms and shifted her eyes from mine to her toes, which made me aware she'd slipped out of her shoes, then threw all of us into silence. I wondered if, during the silence we'd shared in the village, they'd considered how I might look naked, and I got stuck on my own thought about how, if I ever did have sex with a married couple, it could never involve orange corduroy. We'll go go first thing in the morning, Michelle, Frank said. We'll get you a nice-sized studio. And just like that, we were all pretty much back to the supposedly innocent way we'd been. Because Francine asked me, Thai for dinner? And I said, sure. And she hoisted herself off the bed and stepped into her shoes and took Frank's hand as she led him out the door, out of the room and closed the door. The way she'd closed it, though, completely, without asking if I wanted it closed, told me that, as she'd left, she felt angry, dashed, or hurt. Plus, they'd held hands which I assume meant they were trying to show me that, even though they shared orgasms with third parties, they still loved each other. Or maybe they were trying to show each other that. And maybe the whole clingy husband and wife routine was all about convincing themselves they were happy together, even though they got off on kind of cheating on each other. It was all very confusing, which was why I deflected their offer in the first place. I still couldn't understand the romantic appeal of the couple's friendly, totally nude strip club. All I knew was that the average McManus guest did more than sleep. <laughs> All I knew is that the average McManus guest did more than sleep in their guest room, and that I wanted to leave their apartment and never come back. And that for as long as I'd lived in the village, no one I'd met there had ever mentioned the concept of a threesome, but that I could have been part of one without even trying within my first two hours in Queens. <laughs> you like that, Marianne? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I think there's so much there, you know, with the whole Queen Village concept and the, you know, the contrast and, the, <laughs> and her surprise and wow, that that glad, was a great excerpt. <laughs> um all right. So now my next question See, this changes my next question a little bit. Okay. Okay. That's probably a good sign, I'm right? Like, I mean, well, you know, I don't know. It would take a slightly different direction here. So, All right. Well, yeah, we'll find I, out with it. Okay. What I had intended to ask you um, was along the lines of when you're writing fiction, what, you know, in, in the whole concept, which I love, of truth versus fact and, you know, all that kind of stuff, how much, where do you start with autobiography? <laughs> Uh, but I don't think that's the question we're going to ask right well, now. Well, no, I think it's a good question because we've got to kind of clear that up. You know, A, I'm not a woman. A, that's right. B, this never happened to me. Not not in that sense. You know, I mean, very well, we all have been in that situation. Some of us might not have been aware of it, you know. Um, You're probably no. right. That's probably true. Um, and, and, and as a matter of fact, you know, when I did live in the city, and I did actually spend some time in Astoria, Queens, uh, yeah. 
so that in in, in that sense, I, if, if 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 people felt that outer outer borough essence and that Astoria Queens yes. essence, that's you know based yes. on the fact that I was there, um, and I think that's yes. what I was trying I think to convey that comes there. Through well, there I do. I think there this, and I don't know really if it's detail of the. Um, I don't know what you did that made it work so well, but it feels very very real. But that that comes through very clearly. Um, as does voice, like how did you have? How did you? Um, what do you? What do you have to do to get right a female voice when you're a male writer? How hard is that? And, and that that kind of goes with the question you asked previously. Mm-hmm. And 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 um, the answer is in the case of this, the reason I did write this book is the voice was very alive in my head, and mm-hmm. it's a voice of someone I know. I, we don't have time to get into who it is. Uh, right now, you know, because I'm seeing here that we're running out of time. But it's a voice, it originally was based on a voice of someone I know, someone my wife and I both know very well, and uh, who is very a great storyteller and is kind of loud mm-hmm. and funny. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, the voice just was stuck in my head. Uh, when When I just, when I realized this was a novel, I also realized kind of at the same time that this was the voice that needed to tell it. And it was yeah, easy to do yeah. because I could every once in a while, if I got stuck, just listen in my head and think, how would she have said this? Or if she were there, yeah. what might have happened to her? Um, yeah. Or maybe it didn't happen to her, but she's such a good storyteller. How would she have bullshitted her way through <laughs> telling this part of the novel, even though it didn't really happen, you know? Right, um, right. And and I think the beauty of that method, I mean, there is the write what you know, uh, you know, express yourself, find your your voice kind of uh, idea of how to write. And then there's, uh, you know, this method that I used in this case, which was forget yourself, think of another voice of somebody totally not you, and think of yourself as a sort of scribe or a secretary and just type away while you hear this thing in your head and just let it go, you know, just let it tell whatever it wants to tell. And that's right. that's sort of what happened here. So I I do think though that that does lend to if you can be consistent with it and and only listen to that voice in your head, you, it can come out pretty pretty consistently and with a lot of authority. You know, even though here I am a sure. guy and this is a, a female voice. When during the editing process, um, would you say that tweaking the voice uh, was one of the easier things in the process or one of the more difficult things? Because it sounds to me like you're going to say one of the easier things. That wasn't what you had to focus your time on when you went back to do revision. It, it was pretty easy. I think the, the, the most of the time um, that was spent on revision with regard to the voice had to do with when the agent stepped in and said, she's too brash, the, the novel goes on uh, too long, she's too funny, she goes off too much. To long yeah. sentences, the reader, you know, is this is going to be a love it or I mean, it, it, it possibly right now is a love it or hate it book. It was even more so, I think, back then because she was very, you know, all over the place and wisecracking, and there were a lot of all caps and a lot of italics and, um, you know, a lot of <laughs> uh, half page long sentences, and um, that all got that all got you know um, kind of. You know, the, the quote-unquote market caused me to have to go in there and, and, and you know, shrink the book down <laughs> to half of its size, take out, a, a, you know, whole chapters that yeah. ended up being published in literary magazines as stories, and, and uh, you know, a, a lot came out. But it was only because of that that I revised it. I think, I think the voice came out really well the first time, if you ask yeah. me. When 
when you work with um, an agent, um, publisher, whoever is, is giving you their editorial direction on this, what is that tension like for you as a writer? For me, I think anytime a person, you know, uh, that I or anyone that I know can get an agent to be honest about what a book needs to be sold and get them to spend mm-hmm. a good number of hours on reading it and, and, and providing feedback in that direction that makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a gold mine, and a, and a person should, you know, hop to it. I mean, as a, if that's your agent and they're saying, I can't sell this because, you know, I only know X, Y, and Z who might be interested in this, and they like it this way. Um, you know, that's your that's your ticket right there, and you better, you know, it does, kind of doesn't matter what you think at that point. Either you get rid of the agent or you do what the agent says, and mm-hmm. and you know, you can't get rid of too many agents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a small town. <laughs> but I think it's you know I I don't think there should really be any attention. I think a person should be grateful because you know as, as a lot of people know, know uh, you can't even get an agent, and then if you have one, right. it's hard to get you know it's hard to get them to talk to you on the phone. It's hard. These are busy people. Right. Uh, yep. So if they're if they're into it enough that they're going to say this is this is how we can sell this book more easily, uh, you know, do it. Yep. Um, we are we are over time, and that's just the way I like it because um, it gives people a little bit more than what they expected, which is always a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted you to give us that website again. There's so much more I wanted to ask you, but we'll have to do that again on another interview down the road. So um, let's go through the website again. It is? It is showuplookgood.com, and there's stuff you can click to get free stuff. There's things about news and events and readings that are coming up. I'm going to be in uh, Cambridge and Boston and Portsmouth next week and uh, back in the city again a couple, for a couple readings, one done by an actor in uh, at the end of this of November and early December. Uh, so Fine. people can go there and come, come hear uh, the book read out loud again if they want. And uh, uh, But by all means... Uh, you know, that's the website, and I'll appreciate, you know, people stopping by it and taking a look at it. Okay, showuplookgood.com. It has um, the co- the title of the book does have a comma in there. I'm an editor. I focus on these things, but the website does not. <laughs> that is correct. So, that's, yes, that's a good point. So just use the words, people. Leave the punctuation out if you want to find the website. Um Thank you so much for being with us. I'm wishing you the best of success with this novel, and um, I, you know, I, I, I'm planning to get to a reading so I can hear more of that. <laughs> I want to see what happens in that scene, Mark. <laughs> it does go on. It does go on. She does have that tight dinner in the next chapter, so I, and that's not a bad chapter either, in my opinion, at least. But I, I thank you, Anne Marie, for having me on. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You're a great interviewer, and um, I'm going to be listening to more of these shows. I love your show. Wonderful. We love having you listen. We love having you on. So we're going to schedule you to come back and do a little more talk. I would love to talk more to you about crafts and things. So we do have more, uh, you know, when you have more time because you're going to be busy doing your tour. So we will get you back for some other um, conversation, and you'll have another book to promote at some point. So that will be good, too. Thank you. Um, In the meantime, it's a rainy Friday over here, and they're talking about snow in certain parts of the area, north and west, and some other craziness, and it's still October, and I really don't want to hear that, but it tells me it's a good time to spend some time on your own writing and reading and listening to some uh, back episodes of 15 Minutes of Poetry. 
So have a great week, everyone. We'll be back next week. Um, I hope you have a creative week. Bye-bye.